1980 episode, part one, Fitzroy don't have quite the same season as the year before. We discuss what happened with Robert Muir at Victoria Park. Phil Carmen, at his third club in three years, loses his mind. Royce Hart cleans out the closet at Footscray, but does he need to pull the boots back on? And we discuss an extraordinary finish to the night series. All this and more, coming up after our song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmats To hear what they all have to say uh, welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast. It takes a deep dive into the history of the league. I'm Tim, this is Charlie. Yes, it is. And Charlie, can you believe we're in 1980 already? I know, it's unbelievable. Crazy. Yes, the, the decade 80s. of our births. I know, and you know, we're, we're not far off knowing, like, not everything, but... No, but, but having it in players. our own memories. Yeah, we don't yeah. have to reach out and ask for, how do we pronounce this name? Or the shared memories, I guess, of like people you know who remember this stuff. Yeah. And it's lovely... Hearing from listeners who this is their their memories and yes. having people reach out and tell us things. And Alex, Alex Marku. Alex Marku, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We made sure. Hello, listeners in Japan, New Zealand, Ireland, and US listeners in Texas and Florida. Fantastic. Um, lots going on in the eighties, Charlie. The song of the year, Split Ends. I got you. Oh, fantastic. Number Good eight one. for number one. Number one for eight weeks. <laughs> Probably number eight for a lot longer. <laughs> We saw some exciting things happen in yes, 1980. 1980 was a big year, a huge year. So starting uh, with on the 20th of January, we had the Steelers defeating the Rams in the Super Bowl by 31 to 19, and this made them the first team to win four Super Bowls. Massive. Uh, on the 24th of January, we had the very first section of Melbourne's Underground Railway Loop opened. Doesn't that seems too recent? I feel like that should be. It should be like longer ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we've heard, you know, all the, you know, the underground. The and the underground yeah, exactly. And um, the subway and all that sort of stuff was definitely a while before. And we didn't have we a reason. I mean, we didn't have a reason to be underground until eighty. I, mean, I guess we had it our whole lives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the next thing on the twenty seventh of January, we had the great Canadian caper. Tell me more. Mm. So six United States. Diplomats posing as Canadians managed to escape from Iran as they boarded a flight to Zurich, Switzerland, on Swiss Air. You may have seen the documentary. (laughs) Yeah, no, the Ben Affleck movie Argo, which is all about this. Um, On the 13th of February, we had the 1980 Winter Olympics open in Lake Placid uh, in New York. And on the 19th of February, Bon Scott famed lead singer of the band ACDC uh, was found dead uh, at age 33 having slept in a parked car in London yeah in the parked car 19th of February on the 16th of May we had Magic Johnson as a rookie in the NBA scoring 42 points to lead the Lakers to 123 107 victory over the Philadelphia 76ers to clinch the NBA uh, championship for the Lakers who prevailed despite the absence of, of coach. no of 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay, and their coach. And their coach. Replaced. If you've watched Winning Time. No, I haven't. Watch Winning Time, yeah. it makes sense. Okay. In this, in 80, okay. In 79, 80. 80. Across. All right. Uh, on the 24th of May, so around the same time, we had the New York Islanders winning their very first Stanley Cup on a goal by Bobby Nystrom in Game 6 overtime over the Philadelphia Flyers. So the 76ers lost and the Flyers lost in the finals. Not a great time for Philly. Uh, on, the, on the very same day, May 24th, we had Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip arriving in Australia for uh, another one of their trips. The only running monarch who's ever visited, and she visited many times. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, on the 5th of July, we had Yvonne Goolagong Cawley uh, winning the Wimbledon singles title for the second time, uh, easily beating American champion Chris Evert 6 1 7 6 in the final. Uh, so she became the first woman to have won the Wimbledon singles titles nine years apart. Wow. And was the first mother ever to take the Wimbledon singles title. On the 19th of July until the 3rd of August, we had the 1980 Summer Olympics held in Moscow. Uh, 82 countries boycotted the games, but athletes from 16 of those countries participate under a neutral flag. Uh, Australia did send an Olympic delegation to Moscow despite objections raised by the Prime Minister, and there was a ballot held which was won by one vote, five to six. um, To send them. To send them, yep. yep. The Prime Minister, as we said, was very critical of the decision, expressing hope that the Australian participation would not be interpreted as endorsement of Soviet policies. Mm. On the 17th of August, a young girl by the name of Azaria Chamberlain disappeared Ooh. from a campsite at uh, Uluru, reportedly taken by a dingo. Obviously, we've had many uh, theories. theories and things since, but I believe movies. the... The uh, the consensus is that that is the true story now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. interesting. Uh, on the twenty seventh of September, we had the Canterbury Bulldogs defeating the the Eastern Suburbs Roosters or the Sydney Roosters now eighteen four to win the NSWRL Premiership, first Premiership for Canterbury since forty two, and the last Grand Final played on a Saturday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so in the process, Steve Gearan scored one of the most spectacular tries in history uh, and Penrith finished in last position, I, claiming the wooden spoon. I don't know anything about NRL and all that, but Neither. was that decision made because the VFL couldn't play on Sunday? So were they trying to access Victoria that way? I have no idea. This is the first year of the um, State of Origin as well. Yeah. So I don't know whether Which that's got something... Yes. VFL. Don't know if that's got something to do with it. Probably not. Yeah, interesting. Don't know why they changed it. Uh, On the 5th of October, Alan Jones became the second Australian driver to win the Formula One World Championship after winning the final race of the season at Watkins Glen in New York. Uh, On the 21st of October, we had the Philadelphia Phillies Hmm. uh, defeating the Kansas City Royals. in the American of the American League, four to one in Game Six of the World Series. Okay, so, so they won one. Okay, well done. That's it's an impressive year for Philadelphia, yeah, sports-wise. Fourth uh, of November, we had Belldale Bull winning the Melbourne Cup, uh, and the last thing, and finishing on a bit of a downer note here, on December the eighth, um, John Lennon was killed oh. outside his New York City apartment building, the Dakota. Um, yeah. 
sad way to end. It was a sad way to start the 80s. Yep. Uh, but a lot happened. Yeah. I'd like to hear about some Australians that were born this give, year. Give me a few. Uh, 8th of January, the great man himself, Adam Goods, was born. Uh, 9th of May, we had Grant Hackett. 31st of May, Craig Bolton. 18th of June, Craig Mottram, Craig's. the great long and middle distance runner. A few Craigs right? coming through. A couple of Craigs. The 18th of September, Chris Tarrant, the footballer. Uh, and the 5th of November, Luke Hemsworth. Oh, nice. The actor. Will you add our birthdays to this list when we, when we come up to them? Should I? I think you should. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's get to some league news. And there's quite a bit, actually, from okay. 1980. Because it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. So, firstly, the VFL switched major sponsors from Philip Morris Cigarettes to Carlton and United Breweries. Ah, so you're going from one vice to another. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's some stats for you. Since 1972, the league player payments had leapt 1,826% compared to the AVG Victorian wage, which had gone up 262%. Wow. It's like house prices. In in, uh, 1967, it took 72 72 supporters to play one player's salary. In what year? Sorry, say that again. 67. 67. In 1979, or 1980, I suppose, it took... 13,422 supporters to pay one player's salary. Wow. I wonder what it is now. It'd be massive. But like that jump in that small amount of time is just yeah, showing huge. How, how, much. how the BFL is becoming a business. Yep. Um, round four, the league celebrated the 10-year birthday of VFL Park, Waverley Park. A decade with a Waverley decade so far. Um, a celebratory lap of honour was done by Peter Hudson, who kicked 100 goals. He's oh, of course. There. And Kevin Murray, who... Uh, who Played in the first game there as well was also celebrated. And this was before the Lions and Hawks game that round. Round five was a crazy time in the league because Charlie, guess what? What? There were three games on a Friday because it was Anzac Day, two on the Saturday, and one on the Sunday. What? Crazy. I mean, pretty normal for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But back then it would have been nuts. Three on a Friday though. Yeah, That's and, crazy. Anzac Day and two thirty on a Friday. Yeah. Wow. Not not, not games. Um, now, following persistent wrestling between Ruckman, Peter Moore and Gary Dempsey during the 1979 prelim, uh, the VFL introduced for 1980 a dividing line drawn across the centre circle in the wing-to-wing direction. Under the new rules, each Ruckman was forced to begin and run from his side of the line at a centre bounce to eliminate wrestling. Okay. Which we have. Yes. Now. The rule was officially adopted at the national level in November of 1982. I just love the way they word these things. They just sound, yeah. They sound more complicated than they feel they need to, but okay. Um, Good. Now, also in 1980, the league threatened to kick Footscray off the Western Oval and force it to play its games away from home after the Footscray Council granted the Footscray Just, a soccer team playing in the NSL, a lease to play home games at the ground on Sundays in defiance of a league stipulation that league grounds could not be shared with other codes during winter. Ah. In the end, Footscray just played most of its games elsewhere. Just. J-U-S-T, I don't know what the okay. Junior United soccer team. Okay. Um, and the league was not forced to follow through on its ultimatum with the dogs. But Good. potential was there. Um, in 1980, also the Hennessy Report recommended that the team be established in Sydney. Very okay. The team would be profitable, um, making profits of 750000 after three years and drawing 17,000 people as an average crowd in the first year and up to 20,000 in the third. That's what the Hennessy report kind of thought would happen. Yeah. Um, 
On July 5th, a VFL, the VFL put together three separate representative teams to compete in three different interstate games. The number one team recorded a 21-point victory against WA at Waverley. The number two team recorded an 80-point win over Queensland at the Gabba. But the number three team, Charlie, suffered an upset 13-point loss to the ACT, <whistles> prompting league president Dr Alan Aylett to describe it as the worst team ever to represent Victoria. <laughs> Cough that. <laughs> I'd like to know. I need to find out who's in that team. Yeah. Um, umpires under the direction from Harry Beitzel were told to cut down on free kicks for the 1980 season. The VFL telecast games into America live for the first time on May 22nd. And That's a lot, There's a lot going on. And finally, an article in June from The Age also listed famous fans from teams around this time. So we might actually include those when we go through each team, Charlie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's do what we do. We'll go from the bottom up to the top. Let's do it. So right down the bottom, in a spot you wouldn't expect him to be after last year. No. So right down the bottom of the ladder and in a spot we wouldn't expect to see them uh, this year after last year, uh, the Lions, Fitzroy. Unfortunately, with four wins, 17 losses and a draw and a percentage of 86. Uh, so, captained by Ron Alexander and coached by Bill Stephen again. Yeah, very similar to the Swans in 1971 who made the finals for the first time after a long time and then the year after just completely yep. went down the gurgler. Um, so, some recruits to Fitzroy include Ross Thornton from Coran, Daryl Cox, Craig Brady, Rod Lewis, uh, Frank Marchesani, Les Parrish, Glenn Coleman, Peter Foster, and they also had some inc- new recruits including John Rantel and Len Thompson. Big names John there. Rantel, yeah, huge. Yeah. Um, who are some of the famous fans? Yes, oh, I should have asked. Yeah, I was going to mention that. So we've got uh, for Fitzroy some fam- famous fans: Julia Anthony, the singer; Norman Banks of Three AW; John Blackman of Three AW; Bert Bryant, the racing commentator; John English, the pop singer; uh, Sir John McEwen, the former Prime Minister; Bert Newton; yeah. uh, Sir Doug Nichols, of course; um, Norman S- Norman Swain. Uh, Gil Tucker, Frank Wilkes, who, and Frank Wilkes, who is Victoria's opposition leader. Okay. Mm. So always going to be some names we've got no idea. Yeah, of course. Um, now, round one, the Lions won a physical game against the Dogs, but were the walking wounded following the encounter. They led by 38 points at three-quarter time. They did allow the Dogs to kick nine goals in the last quarter, but they managed to hold on by two. Um, after this game, it was found that Gary Laurie, Grant Laurie had a broken wrist, Bernie Quinlan a jarred foot, and five-goal hero Mick Conlon had split his nose. Following this was a five-match losing streak. The round five loss to the Tigers incurred a player-imposed fine of $100 for the inferior performance. Oh, okay. And I say player-imposed, but I mean it was imposed on the players. Okay. They were fined maybe by the coach. I'm not sure what the deal was, but yeah. Doesn't sound like a great system. No. 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 Uh, Their next win wasn't until the momentous round seven match against the Saints. A seven-goal opening quarter was the tonic led by Max Richardson. Robert Walls and Bernie Quinlan. Wilson was also excellent. This game saw John Rantel break Kevin Murray's game's record in his 334th match. Nice. Nice that he kind of did it with Fitzroy as well. Yeah. Uh, Round eight was a thrilling draw with the Pies. Round nine, John Rantel played his 336th and final game 
for the Lions, which was a 21-point loss to the Swans. We'll also find out later on why John Rantel is playing for Fitzroy. Yeah, okay. Because last we knew, he was at South. Yeah, of course. And, uh, yeah, had gone back to South, right? Like he'd, yeah, he'd gone from South to North, back to South. Back to South. won that first Yeah, flag. so, like, happily back to yeah. South, you would have thought. Interesting. Yeah, so we'll find out why. Um, round 13, Len Thompson played his 300th game in a two-goal loss to the Demons. Um, because of the poor form of the Lions um, in July, early July, Bill Stephen announced that he would finish up at the end of this season, um, although I think his contract went till the following season. Uh, in round 15, Fitzroy had the roaring 40s as it's at its back as it slammed on eight first-quarter goals against the Tigers. The Lions' defence did well to hold Cloak and Roach to just four goals between them. Wilson and Irwin roamed far and wide to collect their possession. The Lions by 21, um, and this ended up ended the Lions' winning streak as well. In on July 16th, Frank Bibby, club president, I believe, announced the club was effectively broke and was looking for some solutions. For well, that. we know they've been struggling for a while, and we know they also discussed um, leaving and going to Sydney. Yes. In round 18, the Lions' win over the Saints was described in the age as thus. The weather was cold, the football tepid, and the boredom relieved only by the odd brawl on the field and the scathing witticisms of disgusted spectators off it. Hmm. The Lions won by four goals uh, in what was their final win of the season. But to date, Charlie, this is the only season in which the bottom side has scored more points during the home and away season than the top side so if you look really? at points for and against. Yep, points for and against. There they are. So points for Fitzroy, 2,398. Points for Geelong, 2,362. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so this is Fitzroy's first wooden spoon since 1966. And, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, um, we'll mention the, the points for of the second team, uh, second bottom team when we get to that too because that, that tells a story next. Mm. Uh, so... Um, the lead goal kicker for Fitzroy this year was Bob Beecroft with 63. Not surprising. No. Um, and the winner of the Mitchell Medal in 1980 was Gary Wilson for the fifth time, third in a row. Yeah, nice. No surprises there. No, but three best and fairest in a row is pretty incredible. Oh, yeah. It's great. What we like to see. So climbing up that ladder, in 11th spot, we have the Saints. Unfortunately, where we're sort of used to seeing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, with four wins, 16 losses, and two draws. Two, two draws. Yeah. And a percentage of 69.2%. And if you look at their four, like you said. Yeah, so as we just said, Fitzroy, 2000, almost 2,400. St Kilda kicked 1,870 points That's for the a year. Big difference. Very low. The only team this year with less than 2,000. Well, yet they didn't win the wooden spoon. No, which is crazy. Two draws helped. Yes, so coached by uh, Alex Jeselenko, captained by Gary Sidebottom. Um, and do you want to hear some famous fans of St Kilda? Uh, you know I do. Sir Zelman Cohen, the Governor-General. Lillian Frank, the hairdresser. Vi Greenhalf. Uh, Graham Kennedy. Molly Meldrum, of course. Very famous St Kilda yes. supporter. Yeah. Uh, Gus Mercurio, the actor, Major General Alan Stretton of Darwin, Bill Templeton, the government whip of the Legislative Assembly. 
There you go. There you go. Um, so St Kilda, you mentioned that Alex Jezelenko was the captain coach. Yes. Um, he wasn't at that state. At the start of the season, he wasn't. Ah, okay. And there's a story as to why Alex Jezelenko is now at St Kilda because last we knew he was, he a, was a Premiership ca- captain. Coach. Of ca- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll talk more about that. Yeah, next of course. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that in more ex- next episode. But at this stage, um, we still have Mike Patterson. We as do. Coach of St Kilda. Yes. Gary Sidebottom as, co- as captain. Um, other recruits include Robert Elphingstone, Eric Clark, uh, Con Gorazidis, Simon Meehan, Graham Schoed, Jeff Fiddler. Um, they tried to lure back Rex Hunt out of retirement, but he was having none of it. Following the 1979 season, Lindsay Fox swept to power as the new club president as well, which also saw seven committee men resign, and he demanded five years for success. So he had a five-year plan. Um, he wanted, didn't want any elections for five years. Of course they, not. <laughs> they signed Gary Sidebottom to captain for five years, which was surprising to his WA club, Swan District, who yep. expected him back at the end of the year. Um, and he made a decree that all Ballarat-based players were ordered to move to Melbourne because they could just they could stay up there and train by themselves and they'd come down for game day. Oh. Yeah, because Ballarat being there. Yes, there. Zone. Yep, yep. Um, round one was a loss to the Demons. However, Jezza did well. He kicks three goals on debut. Round two was another loss, this time at home to the Hawks. One ugly incident saw a crowd member throw a beer can that hit Captain Gary Sidebottom on the head. And it was at Moorabbin. So. Yeah, um, that's weird, yeah. The Saints' lack of skill was very evident here as well when two St Kilda defenders ran into one another right in front of the entertainment area. Mm. Um, President Lindsay Fox was furious with this. Um, this led him to question the decision... Um, the, sorry, this led him to questioning the decision-making of the coach. And it was the, it was probably no surprise that the Tuesday following the win, Mike Patterson was fired as coach with Jezelenko installed as the new coach. Um, let's hear a little bit of audio on that. After two losses, St Kilda President Lindsay Fox ruthlessly sacked coach Mike Patterson and it wasn't hard to guess his replacement. Nobody likes defeat and uh, nobody at St Kilda will want to accept defeat from here on in. Did you ask Mike Patterson for his resignation this morning? Yes, I spoke to Mike this morning and uh, Mike was quite prepared to resign in the interests of St Kilda Football Club. Well, you said before he made mistakes. Were those mistakes simply losing? Uh, There's no question about it. We can't afford to lose. Uh, We're trying to get a new breed of people at St Kilda that have a tremendously strong desire to win. And the new coach of St Kilda, Alex Jezelenko. Alex, you've been the centre of two of the biggest football upsets in many years. Have you got to rekindle enthusiasm for football with this latest appointment? Well, I certainly have. It came uh, sooner than expected, Stephen. I expected to stay in football, play football, at least for this year, maybe next year, and kind of wait around for a coaching position to come along. Do you feel a bit sorry for Mike Patterson? You've been through the same sort of thing just a brief while ago. Yes. But the past is the past, Stephen, and... uh, you know, I learned from what's happened in the past. Um, so then, Charlie, it's no surprise that the publicity from this grew. New coaching appointment, so 37,000 people flocked to the G to watch the Saints take on the Tigers. And I tell you what, it worked for that, that whole dead cat bounce that you talk about. Yep. Saints jumped the Tigers early, and the game was close throughout. actually ended in one of their draws. But that, there's definitely that freshness there, isn't there, yep. that we always talk about. Um, next week, the Saints welcomed the Bombers to Moorabbin in what was a controversial game, which we'll discuss later. Uh, Jezza swung the magnets around to help set the team up. Uh, they held a 20-point lead at the last break, 
and kicked two goals into the breeze in the opening minutes of the last, but the Bombers almost came back and stole the game. The Saints managed to hold on by three points. The crowd was chanting for Alexander the Great following this. See, you need... All you need is a glimmer of hope, something that you feel like is changing, right, to, to completely turn the positivity of your supporters around. Mm-hmm. Mm. Round six, the Saints were smashed by the Pies in a match that saw Robert Muir suspended, reported and suspended for four weeks for striking Ray Shaw. Um, after Ray Shaw spat at him. Yes. Um, now, this links in very clearly with an article written two years ago about Robert Muir by Russell Jackson. Yeah. Um, a really brilliant article that you can still find online. Absolutely. It's on the ABC. Yeah, if actually, you... it won the Golden Quill. Yeah. Um, and it's a long article and well worth a read, but we just thought we'd talk about it. Yeah, so obviously we know Robert Muir has this reputation, this mad dog Muir. Yes, that was the nickname, which actually came from reading in this article, came from quite an innocuous start about yeah. how hard he was as a trainer running around like a, a sheepdog. I believe it was actually... Um, uh, you said it was Cowboy just, Neil. Yeah, Cowboy Neil, who started it when yeah. he first started playing. Yeah, um, yeah, he, uh, um, he was vilified terribly throughout his entire career and caused him to step away from the game probably early, caused him to have these issues on the field and, mm. and deal with things that we try to... St- I think still, like, we're better at it now, but still try to pretend aren't as bad as they really are. Yeah. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's a terrible indictment on our game at times. And it's good that things are changing, but they're changing too slowly and people are still getting away with very poor behaviour or at least not condoning it but just leaving it in the dark. Mm. And so things like this article that shine a light on things that have happened in the past are really important because it allows us to really assess where we've come from but also where we're still at. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the, the incident that you're talking about was... Uh, Muir was reported for striking in, I believe it was the first quarter, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, he respond was responding to a comment from Rayshaw um, and charged him and threw a punch at him. Um, Shaw went to ground. We can see in the footage. Yeah, there is footage of this. And he bounced straight back ba- up. Came straight back up. Uh, continued to play, uh, as it says in this article, a brilliant game after that with twenty more possessions and three goals. Um, Muir says that he was spat at by Shaw, had spat in his face. Mm. Um, Shaw categorically denies this. Um, but the umpire... The umpire... You know, There's spittle flying around. Spittle flying around, exactly. So a very... But they kind of dismissed that because they weren't, they weren't there to try. Yeah, that, that's it. The, uh, the chairman of the tribunal said, yeah, he's not here charged with spitting, you're here for striking him. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty soft claim from the umpire he sort of hasn't really stated one way or another what was really going on and yeah. um yeah and we know there's the players code where the players will kind of stick up for each other but this is nowhere beyond. near that it's beyond that absolutely yeah, yeah uh and more so the the uh reaction from the crowd at yeah. victoria park this day after the after the fact they didn't give up he muir was forced to basically stay at the ground for hours after the game and still even then um, 
Someone smashed his car Someone window. smashed his windscreen as he was getting in it through a bottle at his at his windscreen. Uh, so he had a lot lot to deal with. Yeah. Um, yeah. As we said, it's a good read, but it's an incredible very sad read. Reading it as well. Yes. What he had to put up with. Yep. And good that he's uh, fantastic that he's uh, taking control of his own story mm. and you know has said he's not Mad Dog. He's Robert Muir, no, and, and that's not who he is. And you'll probably have noticed we haven't re- ever referred to him as Mad Dog. No. Either. Nor will we. Um, all right, so the following week, St Kilda triumphed in a battle of the bottom teams, beating Footscray after the dogs jumped them early, actually. Footscray's quick handball had the Saints in all sorts of trouble early and they raced to a 25-point lead. And then Jezza left the field, so things looked pretty bleak. But the Saints began to act more determined and ended the first half one point ahead. Footscray then ran out of puff, expending all their energy in the first half, and the Saints kicked nine goals to win by 26 points. Mordecai Bromberg, the hero in this game. Now, just before the round nine match, Charlie, Russell Green was traded to Hawthorne for players Tony King and Mark Scott. It was actually so sudden that it was a surprise when um, Russell Green arrived at Waverley for the North Hawth game in round nine. There's, like The players were like, you're at the wrong ground, mate. St Kilda's not playing here. Um, and that's how quickly players were getting traded. It's amazing. Um, however, these two new recruits from Hawthorne were instant hits for the Saints, helping in the round nine game as the Saints beat the Dogs. We talked about by 26. Both players kicked two goals. Um, now, another issue with Jezza taking over was Gary Sidebottom. He actually didn't get along with Jezza. Jezza played him on the half-forward flank where he didn't really like to play. Um, and his, his form began to waver because Jezza didn't really gel with him. Uh, um, just after signing a five-year deal as captain. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so the round, round 12 loss to the Demons, uh, Sidebottom didn't actually get a kick until before, just before half-time. So low on confidence there. Round 14, in extremely wintry conditions, the Young Saints took it right up to the Bombers in a close game of footy. It was Greg Burns who snapped the winner in time on to help the Saints to a five-point win. Now, round 16 and 17, the Saints had a combined 66 goals kicked against them by Collingwood and Richmond. Not great. Um, The Age describes the round 19 match against the Cats as thus. The Cats and Saints played the first half of their match in a style reminiscent of the Three Stooges. (laughs) <laughs> Fumbles, stumbles, misdirected kicks and hand passes The only thing missing were banana skins and cream pies <laughs> The age have some great articles They do um, Helped by a stiff breeze The Saints kicked seven goals to one And took a 27 point lead at three quarter time break Jeff Saru kicked the winner off the ground To see the Saints win by five points This loss ended a, nine, a run of nine wins in a row by the Cats Now the Saints were promised an end of season trip to Hawaii Should they win their final round match against North Melbourne It's a pretty good isn't it? For Paris? a single game, yeah. yeah. Um, the wind in this game was appalling, but the Saints battled away all day. Close to the final siren, it was Barry Breen who kicked the goal to level scores, and that's just how it stayed, a draw. So they got to go halfway After to After the Hawaii. game, Jez equipped. It was a great game. It was a great half, so I suppose we'll probably get to at least Fiji. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this draw helped them to avoid the wooden spoon. I was getting, maybe that was the impetus to get, yeah. keep them away from the spoon, yeah. Um, Rewarding them for winning one game. Yeah, it seems crazy, it does. doesn't it? Not the sort of uh, legacy building stuff no. that you need at a club. Yeah. Uh, so that was the Saints. So our lead goal kicker at the Saints this year was uh, Mark Scott with 48. And the Trevor Barker Award in 1980 went to Jeff Dunn for the second time, two years in a row. There we go. So moving up to 10th spot, we had Footscray. With five wins and 17 losses, Tim. No draws. No draws. It's nice to see. <laughs> and a percentage of 75.1%. Uh, 
captained by Jeff Jennings and coached by Royce Hart. Yeah, Royce Hart is their coach. So you want to hear some famous uh, Footscray supporters? Please. We have the Blue Echoes, the pop group. <laughs> Alan Hunter, the director. Um, Ted Ryan, uh, the seven sports commentator. Ernie Sigley. David Smorgan. Oh, yeah, that makes yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, Brian Smith, the newsreader. I mean, Charlie Sutton. Surprisingly, <laughs> scratching... the former Footscray captain coach. You reckon he's a They're supporter? The of the barrel aren't there, they? Aren't they? And Karen West, uh, Miss V, Miss VFL runner-up. Don't know anything about the Miss VFL competition. VFL record promotion competition. There, okay. Right? All right. So some new recruits. We've got Paul Ross, Matt Byrachevsky, Terry DeConing, father of Tom and Sam. Yeah, okay. Uh, Brian Perrin and Alan McConnell, current coach of the GWS women's team. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, now, Royce Hart came in as coach and he really swung the changes, uh, including cleaning out 24 players from the list. One of those was future Brownlow medalist Brian Wilson, who went to North Melbourne. Um, he also encouraged the club to spend more money in Latrobe Valley, which was their recruiting zone, so they could develop more talent, which actually makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it? And exactly the way that things should still be done. Yeah, well, there's no recruiting zones anymore. No, but, sorry, clubs shouldn't... Be, the AFL oh, should absolutely. be spending more money. Yes, well, they have enough money now, don't they? Yeah. Um, the season didn't start well for the Dogs as they lost their first 11 matches. Their worst 11? Their worst Ugh. start to a season since 1939. There were rumours in the first half, actually, that Royce Hart would come out of retirement and play for the Dogs. <laughs> but finally, finally in round 12, the Doggies triumphed against the Lions. Uh, Loveless kicked eight. The win was attributed to four things. They won possession from almost all 47 centre bounces. Their running game worked much better than the Lions. They made less mistakes than the Lions and they were much more interested in winning. The celebrations, as you can understand, were large in the rooms with Charlie Sutton leading the congratulations. I mean, he's one of their top Yeah, yeah he's good, yeah. yeah. Um, the Dogs made a back-to-back wins in round 13 with a shock upset of the Swans. Key forwards Shane Loveless and Kelvin Templeton were in again in devastating touch as the Dogs dominated early. Loveless took strong marks and crossed the fence while Templeton kicked seven goals. They ran out 17-point winners. Then they made it three in a row. Hey! Um... They dragged themselves off the bottom of the ladder with an impressive five-goal win over the Demons. Uh, the young players finally starting to click and Loveless and Templeton again, the inspiration in the mud. Round 17, the Dogs made it look easy uh, against the Hawks in the first half. They kicked six goals, five to the Hawks, one goal, one early. They kicked eight in the second quarter, so their halftime score was 17 goals, nine. They eventually won by 53. Loveless kicked another eight. Um... The Dogs, um, actually I mean Kelvin Templeton, dominated St Kilda on their round 20 match. Ten kicks and nine marks in the opening quarter. Yeah. His defender, Robert Elphingstone, was left dumbfounded. Templeton did everything. The Dogs won by 45. Templeton finished with 32 disposals, two goals. Jim Edmund was also excellent. Um, And then finally, of note here, round 21, in a loss to the Pies at Victoria Park, Royce Hart was coaching from the box and found his phone line to the players had been cut. And he couldn't communicate with his team. A suggestion by the Magpies that perhaps the phone line had been cut by the Bulldogs players themselves. This comment did not amuse Hart at all. <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> uh, so our lead, lead goal kicker down at Footscray this year was, of course, Kelvin Templeton with the 75. And the Charles Sutton medal in 1980 went to Kelvin Templeton for the second time. 
Yeah. Not surprising. Yeah. I wonder how close Loveless was for the goals as well. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you. Loveless was second with 44. So almost half. Yeah. Or more than half, but sorry. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so moving up that ladder to ninth spot, and we've got the Demons. Uh, with five wins, 17 losses as well, but a slightly stronger percentage of 79. Uh, just those few more. Uh, few more points for there, really helping the, uh, the situation. Um, so, co Captain Coach by Carl, Carl Diderich, he's yeah. back. You know? Well, yeah, we, know, we knew that, yeah, but yeah. Second season, I think. Um, any celebrity fans that uh, you know about? Um, Ron Barassi? No. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, Annette, Annette Allison, the TV personality. Sir Henry Bolte, the former Victorian Premier. Peter Russell Clark, the <laughs> cook. Greg Evans of th the 3XY. Darren Hinch of 3AW. Barbara Horn, uh, the ABC announcer. Don Lane of Channel 9. Sir Billy Snedden, the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Judge Alex Southwell of the Supreme Court, and uh, Tony Staley, the Minister for Post and Telecommunications. <laughs> nice. I'm really loving these I want lists. an article like this every year. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Um, some new recruits include Russell Rowe, Tony Barnes, Stephen Bickford, Peter Maynard, Paul O'Brien. Um, Pre-season, Carl Diderich resigned from his job as a teacher, and he became the VFL's fifth full-time coach. He would be... Terrifying as a teacher. Can you imagine back in Dirich's yeah. class? Yep. Just this huge, angry man. Yeah. In January, Richmond accused them of trying to poach David Cloak and Kevin Bartlett. Yeah. Yeah. I would have. Um, they failed to land either, but they did recruit Brent Crosswell and Bill Nettlefold from cash strapped North Melbourne during February in a straight financial transaction. Good that Crosswell's got away from Brassy as well. He can stop that harassment that keeps happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, round one, in front of a big crowd against the Saints, the D's midfield was dominated by Robbie Flower, Greg Wells and Jared Healy, while the defenders couldn't handle debutante Russell Rowe, who helped himself to four goals. The early minutes were even, but the Demons machine clicked into gear and they piled on five goals in succession. Rowe got three of them to start his golden, his very golden start to his VFL career. Uh, the Saints used the strong breeze in the second term and managed to close the gap to 17 at the main break, but the D's used the wind better in the third and opened up a seven-goal margin. Um... Overexcitement was the order of the day. Supporters applauded and President Wayne Reid made noises about the club, not only making the fire, but winning the flag, Charlie. Hey. So much so that Melbourne's price for the flag changed from 33 to 1 to 25 to 1. Just because. <laughs> uh, in round two, they took on a team that had beaten them by 190 points in the previous match, the previous time they played them yeah. in Fitzroy. However, the Demons were shocked victors over the fancied Lions. 11 minutes into the third quarter, and again three minutes into the last, the Roys grabbed the lead, but they couldn't hold the Demons back. Roe, Elshaw, and Elliot stepped up and helped their side over the line. Elshaw was in especially impressive at beating the celebrated Gary Wilson, um, as was Walters, who contributed seven goals, including two in the last. So that's a good turnaround. Yeah. Uh, not as good when you consider where Fitzroy actually finished on the ladder. No, but I mean, but 190 still, points. Yeah, yeah, to get that moles off you, yeah. that's good. Um, I don't know whether we're, ever, whether we're ever going to see anyone beat that record. Only uh, if a new team comes in, I can imagine that. That's probably the only time it would ever yeah. happen again. Yeah. 
Damn it. <laughs> um, round four, after three weeks on the road to start the season, Melbourne returned to the MCG and they welcomed the new recruit Brent Crosswell to the side. The Bulldogs led at quarter time, but the Ds got their noses in front from then on. Although it was close, they ran out nine-point winners. Crosswell was slow to start in his Melbourne debut, but when he got going, he kicked four goals. Robert Walters was also prominent with four goals, six. Diderich likened the match to a country dunny, but added it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Seven losses followed. In late June, here's some big news. Um, the football club broke away from the MCC after 91 years of being a section of the club. A joint statement by the MCC secretary and the club announced that the Demons would now be an autonomous body with responsibility for its own affairs and liabilities. Chairman Wayne Reid described it as the first step to turning the Demons back into a football power. The change had originally been planned for early 1979, but the MCC's football executive failed to follow through. Mm. In round 12, having lost seven in a row, the Dees tackled an inexperienced St Kilda side who led narrowly at every change, but it was an appalling game of football. Uh, every mistake the Demons made, their opponent seemed to make them seemed keen to repay them with one of their own. <laughs> the margin was out to 21 at the third quarter before Melbourne struck back, reducing the gap to a goal at the last change. The Dees finally clicked and they demoralised the Saints with early goals in the final term and they actually kicked nine goals, three to two, two in the last quarter to wow. win comfortably. Crosswell booted four in the last term. Robbie Flower was also crucial in the last, enjoying the luxury of having an opponent moved. Robbie Flower was also crucial in the last quarter, enjoying the luxury of having his opponent moved and he ran right on the wing. It was back-to-back wins, actually. The Ds, they, they won against the Lions again. After a quarter-time lead, they trailed at the end of the next two quarters before charging home with six goals in the final term. Wells had 48 touches in what was his final game for the Demons. Oh. He was soon cleared by the Demons to the Blues. Mm. Yeah, We'll talk more about that next week as well. Yes. This was also the last win by the Demons for the year. Um, after round 17... Their match against South Melbourne, the club was fined $500 for com- comments Diderich made about the umpires. <laughs> he suggested that Brent Crosswell had been unfairly dealt with on the day. Crosswell had received one free kick and given away four. Yeah, well. Uh, and in his very last football match in round 22 against Collingwood, Carl Diderich was reported for striking and he left the ground to a warm reception. Great. He was cleared of all the charges. After he, after he was cleared by the tribunal, uh, Chairman Alf Foley said, Oh, we're sorry you're going, old boy. To which Diderich replied, I'm not so sure of that. <laughs> On his way out of the hearing, a journalist asked, would you like to say something, Carl? And he replied, next time. <laughs> and he exited the VFL stage for good. Great. One of the biggest, bigger characters Went going down around. swinging. Yeah. We'll miss him. There's footage of that match as well. He just... Just Not quite Alistair Lynch in his last game against yeah, but the Yeah, just went hard. He went hard and the yeah. players kind of did as well. Yeah. Uh, so lead goal kicker at the D's this year was Brent Crosswell. In only his 15 games, he managed to kick 31 goals, so not a huge lead goal kicker for the D's. Uh, and the Bluey Truscott Award in 1980 went to Laurie Fowler for the third time, second in a row. Robbie Flower again runner-up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that takes us up to eighth spot where we've got the Hawks. So a few of our clubs, you know... That we, we expect to be a bit higher, tumbling down. Yeah. Well, or at least a couple, I should I say. This is the second year in a row the Hawks have missed one. Hawks have missed, yeah, it certainly is. Uh, so, coached by David Parkin, captained by Don Scott. Um, big jump up here. we got 10 wins, 12 losses. So, double um, Melbourne there. And a percentage of 94.5. you got some, uh, some famous fans. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, John... 
John Amys, the radio personality. Paul Cronin, the oh, yeah. actor. Sir David Derham, the vice chancellor of Melbourne University. Uh, Johnny, uh, oh, Johnny, is it Femicon? Femichon? Femichon. Femichon, sorry, the boxer. Uh, Dick Hamer, the premier. Hamer, Hamer Hall's named after, of course. Uh, Ken James, the actor. Mick Miller, the chief, uh, chief commissioner of the Victoria Police. Helen Reddy, yeah. the singer. Shirley Strahan, the Australian. Oh, Strawn. Strawn. Strawn, sorry. Yeah. The singer uh, slash compare. Stuart Wagstaff, the TV personality. And Sir Henry Winnicky, Victoria's governor. Yeah, nice. Um, some debutantes include Andy Bennett, Colin Robertson, Chris Mew. Dale Foster and Peter Schwab, but tell us a bit about Chris Mew. I would love to. Also Ab- slang for having a bit of a vomit. A Mew. Yeah, you have a Chris Mew. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> slang. A solid, uh, ultra-dependable but dependable defender who seldom lowered his colours, Chris Mew was a central figure in Hawthorne's teams throughout the 1980s. Uh, so he's recruited from Rosebud, and he did everything cleanly and with a, with a minimum of fuss, meaning that some of his best work went comparatively unnoticed. Awesome. Real workman. Um, this was David Parkin's fourth year as coach and would be much like his third, injury marred and ultimately disappointing. Yeah. Hawthorne started the season with a loss to the Tigers but then won six of their next seven games beginning with a 33-point win over St Kilda. This was followed by a high-quality win over the Pies by 11 points in a match that saw the crowd rush the field late in the game. Um, a narrow win over Fitzroy by three points after they kicked just three points in the last quarter. In round four, the Hawks moved up to the second on the ladder, but another loss by five points to Geelong slowed their progression. The narrow margins continued as the Hawks downed the Dogs by 17, then Carlton by just two and Melbourne by 10. Uh, at this point of the season, they were six and two, but they would win just four of their last 14 games. Oof. Round nine, it was another close five-point loss, this time to North Melbourne. In a remarkable trend, only one of the Hawks' nine games thus far had been decided by more than 17 points, and all three losses had been by just five points. Yeah. This all changed in round 10 as South Melbourne belted the Hawks by 84 points in what was Hawthorne's last game at the Lakeside Oval and this saw them plummet back down the ladder. Um, and this uh, gathered speed with an 18-point loss to the Bombers and a 20-point loss to the Tigers. In round 13, the Hawks kicked the highest score for the year, their highest score, 21-17, 143 to beat St Kilda by 34 points. Um, they equaled it. It the following round when they beat Fitzroy by 88 points to scramble back to fifth place so maybe finals yeah uh, but the next week they kicked their lowest score for five years oh. four goals 13 jeez what a roller coaster! and lost to Geelong by 80 points the rot set in as the Hawks gave up any chance of playing in the finals losing to Collingwood by 27 the Dogs by 53 and Carlton by 44 a 77 point win in round 19 over the Demons halted their slide but North the following week stitched them up by 56 points and Hawthorne I guess is a bright side. They ended South finals hopes at Waverley with a five-goal win in round 21 before a 40-point loss to the Bombers ended a sorry second half of the season. In all, 188 matches were missed by a senior list of 44 players through injury or suspension. David O'Halloran missed the entire year through injury. Peter Knights and Leon Rice were out for 15 matches. 188 yeah. matches missed. By senior players. Jeez. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, that's outrageous. Now, in September, David Parkin quit after finding out that Hawthorne were looking around for other possible coaches to replace him. Don Scott, heavily critical of Hawthorne's handling of Park and resigned at the captaincy. Um, at the time, he was the second longest serving captain. Scott put it down to the relationship with the players, saying, I've never been great socially and I know the area is vital. You build up a camaraderie and real feeling towards each other after, at social events and it hasn't been happening. 
that was showing on the field. Matthews was the logical appointment. Peter Knights was made deputy, so as captain. Yeah. yeah. Um, new president Ron Cook, charged with finding Parkins' replacement, went after Alan Jeans, after Peter Hudson and Kevin Sheedy were also considered. Even Scott and Matthews were canvassed for the job, but both indicated they weren't ready to coach. Cook and John Kennedy Sr. eventually persuaded the committee to offer the job to Alan Jeans, who was then coaching the New South Wales state team. So I'm just like, how long Sheedy been out of the game? Not a long. Year. Yeah. He retired last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. Um, hiring Jeans, they said they wanted someone who could get the blokes, get to the blokes, get to the fellows who were a bit disenchanted and a bit down. Yep. Uh, and history will say they chose the right guy. They certainly will. Uh, so Hawthorne this year, their lead goal kicker was Michael Moncrief with 86. Yep. Lee Matthews second on that list with 32. And the Peter Crimmins medal in 1980, uh, surprise, surprise, went to Lee Matthews for the seventh time. Seven. Yeah, and wow. not his last either. Yeah, no. <laughs> Almost, but not quite. Mm. It's unbelievable. Uh, so that takes us up the ladder to seventh spot where we have the Bombers sitting. So with uh, 10 wins, 12 losses as well, but a healthier percentage um, for the Bombers there than Essendon of 105.4. Uh, coached by Barry Davis and captained by Simon Madden. Yeah, 22-year-old Simon Madden. Yeah, massive. Yeah. Big, um, big decision there. Yeah, it is. It's in- Famous fans? Famous Essendon fans. We've got Sally Boyden, the singer slash actress. Tony Charlton, the commentator. Uh, one of the greatest voices ever known. Archbishop Frank Little of the Roman Catholic Arch- the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Melbourne. Oh, good. Andrew Peacock, the Foreign Affairs Minister. Jamie Redfern, the pop singer. Uh, and Sir Geoffrey... It's a bit blurry. So Sir Geoffrey Yeend... Yeend? I think it's Y-E-E-N-D... The head of the Prime Minister's Department. No. <laughs> uh, debutants include Barry Bazenko, Peter Light, David Burke, Mark Eustace, Stephen Carey. They signed Phil Carmen in November of 1979 mm. from Melbourne. As you know, we know Carmen and Ditterich couldn't get on, so Melbourne yeah. wanted a bit of him. Um, we also got Alan Stoneham and Wayne Foreman from Footscray. Yep. Um, but the one I wanted to highlight was Justin Madden. Justin Madden, yes. So he may have boasted neither elegance nor athleticism Timmy but Justin Madden was one of the most supremely effective ruckmen of recent times if you call the 1980 <laughs> recent uh, his massive 206 centimetre 107 kilogram frame was significantly bigger than that of most of his opponents who found it virtually impossible to dislodge him from ruck contests he could also do a serviceable if somewhat stilted job around the ground and loved to kick a goal uh, starting his career at Essendon, he moved to Carlton in 1983, where he really made a name for himself. Yeah, and thank you to AustralianFootball.com, which is where I've, I've got these yes. player descriptions that you're reading. Um, so former Cats coach Rod Olsen was also appointed assistant coach. The Bombers actually blooded 14 new players in 80, 1980, which is the most for a season since 1937 they had blooded. Oh, wow. Round one, they fell short against the Roos. Round two, against the Tigers. Um, the Tigers actually looked home when Michael Roach kicked two goals late to put the Tigers in the lead. But Phil Carmen was the hero of the day here. He kicked the winning goal in a gripping finish. The winning play saw Carmen grab the ball off a teammate in the last minute, threw it on his boot and kicked the dribbler over the line to give Essendon the lead for the fourth and final time in the game. Or in that quarter, actually. Round three was a 55-point win over South. They had kicked a very accurate 16 goals, two at half time. 
Simon Madden was inspiring early, kicking three goals in the first, and the Dons finished with a scoreline of 24-12-132, their highest ever score at Waverley. Round four is a shock three-point loss to St Kilda at Moorabbin. In this game, Essendon's Phil Carmen was reported for two things. Firstly, for striking St Kilda's Gary Sidebottom, and secondly, for head-butting boundary umpire Graham Carberry. Oh, my God. Uh, let's hear a little bit about Carmen reflecting on this, shall we? Well, I'll be probably away from the club for a week and uh, just to have a bit of time off, and then I'll be back to commence training. Phil, thinking back on it, have you any regrets about the whole incident? Oh, a lot of regrets, yeah. I um, actually feel very concerned for the club and uh, particularly for Barry Davis for the the faith that he put in me. You know, he put in a lot of work to get me to the club and I just feel as though I've let him down personally and uh, also letting the club down. At you the really... time you were paying it back, you were playing probably the best football for a long time. I think so, and it's due mainly to Barry's uh, contribution. You know, he was able to... Um, Instill a little bit of confidence back in myself and uh, teaching me how to play the ruck rover roll and I was, you know, I was very, very happy. Phil, you've always maintained peak physical fitness. Will you keep training just with the finals in view? You know, I think now I'll be... Um, I didn't know last night what I'd do. I didn't know whether I'd give it away or not, but I think it's probably making me a little bit more determined to retain my fitness and uh, hopefully play some sort of game towards the end of the year. When did the enormity of the suspension hit you? This morning or last night when you are driving home to Lilydale? Look, I don't know whether it's really hit me yet. You know, I just know that I'm not playing Saturday and it's going to be some time before I do. So Carmen was suspended for a total of 20 matches. So 16 for the head button, four for striking side bottom. What a ripper. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously with this Carmen case hanging over them with the news and stuff as well, the Bombers lost uh, the following week to Collingwood by in round five. Um Focus like, elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like that distraction off the field. The Bombers held on for a round six victory over the Lions thanks to Merv Nagel and Ian Marsh. Both were elusive and created many opportunities for the forwards with rapid handball. Len Thompson had a chance to kick the winner from a tight angle for the Lions, but kicked it out on the full. Unfortunately, in this match, Ken Fletcher broke his leg and would miss eight of the nine next nine matches. I don't know why he'd come back for the little one. It mustn't <laughs> have been a serious break, right? I, I don't know what the full extent to that is. Round 8 was a big win over the Dogs. The Dons scoring 22 goals, 16 in a 77-point win. Their biggest over the Dogs in 15 years. Round 9, they travelled to Sydney to take on the Blues. Hey. They lost, unfortunately. In round 10, the Dons ran away from the Ds in the last quarter, um, earning their first win at Windy Hill for the year in round 10. They kicked 6 goals, 6 in the last quarter as the Demons capitulated. Crackers Keenan playing on one leg was inspirational. Simon Madden had a field day and Van der Haar was also great in a 44-point win. Now, in early June, Barry Davis told Essendon that if they didn't make the finals, then he'd quit. This came to light in the media not long after, so speculation started to mount as to who would coach Essendon. Um, so the speculation was, you know, maybe Graham Moss will come back, Rod Olsen could take over his assistant, mm -hmm. maybe we look at Sheedy, maybe Ron Barassi. Um, round 11, the Bombers played a more direct game against the Hawks, and for the first two-thirds of the match, uh, they dominated the field of play, um, but the Hawks fought back to get within eight points late the Bombers luckily kicked away through Vanderhaar uh, to win by three goals. Tim Watson played a very big hand in this as well. Round 12 to 16 saw five straight losses. Round 17, the Bombers did enough in two quarters to beat the Lions, and they just mostly cruised, which saw the Lions go down only by a goal in the end. Simon Madden, though, kicked eight. Merv Neagle had 38 disposals for the Bombers. Round 19, 
Despite Kelvin Templeton dominating for the Dogs with 18 kicks, 9 marks and 6 goals, the Bombers were able to notch a fairly easy 7-goal win at Windy Hill. Ex-Bulldog Alan Stoner was excellent against his former team. Round 20, Ken Fletcher was dropped for the first time in nearly 10 years for the game against Carlton, which they lost. Um, playing Melbourne in round 21, the Demons started well but surrendered their lead in the second quarter and they kind of stayed within touch. Um, the Age described this match as an unexpectedly competent example of the fast-flowing style which incenses old-timers who yearn for the high marks and long kicks of yore. <laughs> the Bombers did enough to win, extending their lead to 21 by the final siren. And then the final round, the Bombers and the Hawks played a bit of a nothing game in a bit of a gale. The Bombers did enough to win by 40 points, but it was a tepid display which achieved naught, except perhaps a mildly triumphant note to mark the retirement of Ken Fletcher. It should be noted that the Bombers lost nine games by less than a goal. Yeah, so we know we've seen those sorts of stats before, and then the next year things start happening. So it'll be interesting to see 81. And it's interesting as well, Charlie, I think I mentioned this to you not too long ago, that the Bombers were looking at Ron Brassi, and at one stage they thought, oh, we've got Brassi. We've got him, we've yep. got him. Like, he was, and we, we'll see that Brassi jumps across to Melbourne next season. So yeah. Spoilers. Um, but just he, he was, was definitely about, on his way out, right? Yeah. Well, he, he was leaving North Melbourne. Yeah. Just as he was about to go to Melbourne, the Bombers kind of came in at the last minute and said, oh, do you want to come to the Bombers? And oh. There was an article saying, you know, he's, he's tempted by the Bombers, um, very similar to the Bombers. Strangely reminiscent of Clarko. Yes. Interesting. Just jumping in a little bit too late. Yeah, I should have learned. Well, maybe that means we'll get our sheety. The next coach might be our next sheety. Oh, yeah, well. That's what I'm hopeful of. Well, I mean, <laughs> you can only hope, right? Uh, <laughs> so the lead goal kicker at Essendon this year was Simon Madden with 45. Tim Watson just behind him on 42. Um, and Paul van der Haar third there with a 27. And the Crichton medal in uh, 1980 went to Tim Watson for the first time. Yeah, I think he's only 19 at that age. I was going to say, I think that's yeah. right, yeah. 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 Uh, so that takes us up to uh, sixth spot and our final non-finalist. <laughs> um, and that is South Melbourne just missing out cruelly uh, with 13 wins, nine losses and a percentage of 101.7%. Uh, coached by Ian Stewart and captained by Barry Round. Uh, some famous South Melbourne supporters... We like to hear uh, Edward Beale, the hairdresser. Okay. I'm not sure who these famous hairdressers are. <laughs> Bill Collins, the racing commentator. Peter Couchman, the TV personality. Maury Fields, the actor. Professor Keith Frearson uh, of economics at Monash University. <laughs> Bob, <laughs> Bob Hawke, oh, yeah. the endorsed ALP candidate for I Wills. Maybe he changes when he's promised. Maybe. Man of the people. Craig Kimberley, the managing director of Just Jeans. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was the president. So yeah. The Little River Band. And Mike Willisey, the TV personality. I love how the whole band are like, oh, yeah, we all support <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, sorry. <laughs> I love it. I actually love this because you're rating people who have done great stuff. It's like if this was the, these days, it would just be like people who were on Neighbours or, you know, things like that. But economics Professor. professors. Yeah. Love it. It's who we should be celebrating yeah, in the world. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, some new recruits at South Melbourne include Kevin Goss from Port Melbourne. Victor Hugo, I guess, taking some time off writing. Yeah, yeah. And, being, and being dead. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Smith, yeah. Stephen uh, Ether, Doug Green, 
Bobby McGee they've got from the Dogs and David Reese jones Yes, David Reese jones Yeah, Reese jones Uh, Probably best remembered for his fiery and volatile temperament and his frequent visits to the tribunal. David Reese jones was also an abundantly skilled footballer. Indeed, when at his peak in the mid to late 80s, there was no finer or more polished wingman in the land. Uh, so South recruited Reese Jones from the Oakley Districts team and he soon became the Swans player opposition supporters most loved to hate. Yeah. In part, it was because of his football attributes, such as cat-like balance, pace and aerial strength, but chiefly it had to do with his pen- penchant for mixing it. <laughs> All right, so you said Barry Round was the captain, so Ricky Quaid had decided to step down. That's why Round is captain. Teasdale was back at South, thanks to the legal man, Brian Ward. He had signed a new two-year deal, uh, but Len Thompson was released to the Lions just days before the season started. John Rantel is another story we said we'd get to. Yes. So he went to Ian Stewart at the start of 1980 um, after he'd been sacked and said, look, I'm three games away from the VFL record. I'd love to get it. And so Ian Stewart said, fine, play the pracky matches. Um, and he did. He did all right. Then the night before the first game, Ian Stewart came up and said, Mopsy, you're not on the side. To which Mopsy said, you bleep, uh, you've been leading me on. I would never believe the word from your mouth. So he briefly retired before he joined the Lions. Okay. Determined to get those, that record games. Yep. Which, I mean, deservedly so, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and if someone wants him, I mean, he's, and he feels like he's still got something to, something to give. Yeah. Um, fans were in an uproar as well, as you can imagine. Going into South. The, going into round, fans, this round yeah. one match um, when they were taking on... The Cats. Um, but the Swans actually played a thriller in this game. Um, they trailed the Cats by 16 at half time, but the Swans pegged the lead back in the third quarter. It was goal for goal in the last. With seconds remaining, John Roberts, their new recruit, took a mark in the teeth of goal with the siren ringing and fans swarming around him. He calmly goaled to give the Swans a remarkable three-point win. Another interesting thing about John Roberts was he was playing under an assumed name using the pseudonym Robert Swan after his Sandfall club failed to give him a clearance. Really? Apparently. When was our last assumed name? Oh, like, like the good fur. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, it, it was two from two when they beat the Dogs in round two by 28 points at Lakeside Oval. Um, the Swan started Graham Teasdale on the bench for the first half but unleashed him onto Calvin Templeton, whom he shadowed and kept out of the game. Barry Round appeared to have the ball on a string and was unbeatable. Around this time, the Swans picked up Rod Carter from the VFA after he'd been dumped by Fitzroy. Uh, around five, it appeared Graham Teasdale was back to his Brownlow best in a game against the Saints. Um, they had a thumping victory at Lakeside Oval. Tony Morewood with five goals two. They had an easy-going win against the Dees in round six. In round seven, the Swans looked very much a finals team as they took on the Pies at Lakeside Oval. A seven-goal burst in the second quarter saw the Swans build a sizable lead. They then withstood the intense pressure and tough tackling to win by 25 points. Um, they kicked themselves. They seemed to kick themselves out of the round nine game against the Lions. However, they turned it on in the last quarter with six goals nine to the Lions one goal one to win by twenty one points. More with six. John Roberts five, or John Swan. What do we? Or Robert Swan. What do we? Call <laughs> round ten. The Swans were all razzle dazzle against the Hawks with slick hand passing and a skilled team demonstration. They demolished the Hawks by fourteen goals. Round 11 to round 14 were four consecutive defeats. Um, including in that streak was the round 12 match against Geelong, played at the SCG. Um, they lost by 63 points in front of 13,209 fans, but the first time the Swans had played in Sydney. Oh, okay. Their future home, spoilers. 
Um, <laughs> finally, a win. The Swans beat the Saints by just 14 points in round 15, but Ian Stewart wasn't happy, saying it was a hollow victory which achieved nothing for South but the four points. They travelled to Windy Hill in round 16 to take on the Bombers, and the game was tight throughout. Despite the heavy Essendon crowd, the Swans were able to earn a four-point win despite Tim Watson's five-goal heroic effort. Um, Ian Stewart was much happier with this game. Round 18 was a loss to the Pies that put them out of finals contention, probably. Ian Stewart, coaching from the dugout, was subjected to threats, abuse, and had missiles thrown at him during the game. Jeez, okay. Yeah, Victoria Park. I mean, that's the third real incident from Victoria Park after the Robert Muir incident and um, Royce Hart having his phone line cut. Yeah. Not a nice place to visit. Round 17, South... South thermed into finals contention still. I mean, there's still a chance mathematically with a 34-point win over the Ds, although it took till late in the game for them to pull away from the plucky demons. Ditterich and Barry Round spent a lot of time wrestling and fighting each other. Bernie Evans kicked five goals four. In round 19, the Swans made North look like a tired, haggard combination, which was nearing the end of its dominant run. Francis Jackson patrolled the back line like a master. John Roberts broke free in the second half and finished with five. Greg Smith was also excellent. Uh, round 20, they beat the Lions by 17 at Lakeside Oval. Uh, and they could still make finals, but round 21, they lost to the Hawks at Waverley. Yeah, and that. Um, so really nothing to play for. Round 22 against the finals-bound Tigers, who could finish the round finishing on top if they won. One, yep. Um, the Swans got the jump early. The Tigers were not able to get used to the conditions, while South were clearly more familiar with these conditions. They led the Tigers by five goals at a long break. But early in the second half, it was clear the Swans would run out winners, which they did by 54 points. The old grandstand at Lakeside Oval was rocking. Um, it's as though South rather than Richmond were going into September. Um, Greg Smith, best on ground, with 22 possessions and four classy goals. Fantastic. Good way to finish. Yeah, but this is disappointing. disappointing. Not yeah. to make it through. Uh, so that's the, that's the end of our non-finals this year. It is. Um, yeah, so, you know, good signs from a few of those clubs who you can see are going to get up and about in the 80s. Your bombers? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that's who I was talking about. I mean, or one of the teams well, I was talking even, about. Even the Lions, yeah. even though they were so poor, they're, they're four. They're, like, they've got, they're kicking big, big scores. Yeah, exactly. So it's just tightening up that defense and, mm. you know, they'll get it going. Yeah. Uh, so, as always, we like to finish our first half of our episodes with. Uh, night series. Yeah. Uh, and the 1980 uh, AFC Escort Championships was an absolute barnstormer of a series. Yeah. So, as we know, the last couple of years there's been a bit of vying between the NFL and the and the AF. Uh, the sorry the VFL about what who's going where what's going on and finally the VFL have come out um, on top uh, the NFL have agreed to end their night series and the Sandfall have uh, have come across to the AFC competition in 1980. Still no VFA though. No, so the qua- the Quaffle soon followed suit, but the VFA were of course not welcome. No, um, but they had rep teams from other states. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but we, they were already there the previous year. Yes, true. Um, so the, the way it worked, similar to last year, was uh, kind of like the FA Cup, Britain's FA Cup, where 
the lower ranked teams advance through qualifying rounds to earn the right to play against the top teams in the main draw. So we had 34 teams from across Australia playing 33 matches over five months. So qualifying rounds were held during pre-season, main draw held midweek throughout the premiership season. I'm assuming most premiership seasons were running at the same time oh, yeah. in the different states. Yeah. Um, again, played all across the country, VFL teams traveling interstate to play on em enemy territory, uh, those Sandville teams and Waffle teams coming to Victoria as well. Um, feels a bit normal to us, but very foreign com concept for a lot of these clubs in yeah. 1980. Uh, so we had five Victorian clubs heading into state. We had Carlton and Hawthorne went to Perth. Footscray went to Brisbane. Richmond went to Sydney. Uh, and South Melbourne went to Adelaide. Um, so, of course, running by the VFL, the VFL's top six teams went directly into the main draw, didn't have to qualify. It was only the top two from the Sandville and the Waffle that got straight in. So those were the 10 teams yeah. that went into straight into the main draw. Yeah. The rest of the teams had to fight, fight it out. Uh, so let's run through some quick scores and then talk about some highlights. There's a lot of scores. There's a lot of scores. So in the qualifying round, we had uh, Hawthorne defeating West Perth in Perth, uh, Claremont defeating um, East Perth in Perth as, again, uh, Subiaco defeating Perth in Perth, uh, Melbourne beating Swan Districts at Waverley. Uh, South Melbourne defeating West Adelaide in Adelaide. St Kilda defeating Sturt at Waverley. North Adelaide defeating Norwood at Norwood. Um, Footscray defeating West Torrens uh, at Waverley. Uh, Central Glenelg defeating Central District at Norwood. Richmond beating Woodville at Waverley. New South Wales beating ACT in Wagga. In Wagga. Um, and Queensland defeating Tasmania in Tassie, um, in, in, in Alveston, yeah, in Tassie. So then we went through to the second round of qualifying. <laughs> There's a lot of teams getting knocked out, yeah. but it'd be good to see some of these games. Oh, absolutely. We're talking sort of um, mid, sort of mid thousand, sort of th between three and six thousand at most crowds. of these games. Yeah, yeah. crowds. Uh, so then we had again in Perth, Claremont beating Subiaco. Uh, Hawthorne beating Melbourne at Waverley, Glenelg beating North Adelaide at Norwood, St Kilda beating South Melbourne at Waverley, Richmond beating New South Wales at the SCG, uh, and Footscray beating Queensland um, at Windsor Park. Is that Queensland? Maybe. I assume. Uh, so that took us into the main draw. Um, in the main draw, we had Essendon defeating Port Adelaide. Uh, at Waverley, South Melbourne beating Carlton um, at Free at East Frio Oval, uh, Claremont beating Geelong at Waverley. It's big Hawthorne beating East Fremantle at Waverley. So the main draw now we're getting most of our games at Waverley. Yeah. Um, North Melbourne beating Glenelg at Waverley, St Kilda defeating South Adelaide at Waverley, Collingwood beating Footscray at Waverley, and Richmond beating Fitzroy at Waverley. So our quarterfinals, Claremont versus Hawthorne. Claremont won quite convincingly uh, at Waverley, 84-52. North Melbourne beat St Kilda by 20, 30 points at Waverley. 
Uh, Collingwood beat Richmond by 30 points as well at Waverley. And Essendon beat South Frio by 40 points at Waverley. Um, so then we had our semi-finals and our f- final team from outside Victoria went down, unfortunately. Claremont being beaten by no- North Melbourne, 63 to 100. Collingwood beat Essendon, 81 to 100. North Melbourne and Collingwood in those two games scoring the exact same score, 15, 10, yeah. 100. The Collingwood game, of course, getting a lot more people. Uh, And then, so we had the grand final between North Melbourne and Collingwood in front of 50,000 people at at Waverley. So good good crowd there. And it was a very, very close game. And North Melbourne got the Chockeys. 8-9-57 to 7-12-54. Tell us about the ending of the game. Yes, it was very interesting. So it, it came down to the final moments and a very controversial finish. So North Melbourne trailed by three points when the final siren sounded. Toomey and Sutton go for the ball. Over their heads, there's Shaw coming in a snap for goal. One umpire's paid the free kick. I've been able to hear it, but I'm sure. The umpire's paid the free kick. I don't know how much longer this quarter will go as we see Tanner there at centre half back driving the ball out there towards Malcolm Blake. He's got the mark. He's clear. He boots it well up towards the full fourth. There's good with the mark. Good's got the mark. He's run within kicking distance. The siren's gone, Lou. The umpires haven't been able to hear it, but I'm sure the siren has gone. The siren's gone. The crowd coming onto the ground now. Good kicks this goal. They've won the match. Oh, what a climax of this 1980 uh, Escort Cup Grand Final. Good's already kicked three goals. He's only about uh, 25 to 30 metres out, dead in front. He kicks this, they've won the game. He's put it through and North Melbourne have premiers. North Melbourne have won the match. What a game. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in my life. Despite Collingwood supporters running toward Gooden trying to put him off his kick, yep. he calmly slotted the winning goal from 30 metres and gifted North an unlikely win. Always controversy surrounding a Collingwood grand final, yep. wasn't there? Absolutely, no matter where it was. So there were a couple of interesting things there. As you said, uh, 50,000 50, people at one of these games absolutely smashed the record from the year before, which was 37,500. Yeah. Yeah. So the crowds are getting better and better. Uh, we had the Bulldogs wearing a new jumper, <laughs> yeah. an interesting jumper, almost like St Kilda-esque with the three uh, vertical stripes, yeah. but with... Blue, white, and red across. We had um, the Hawks uh, playing West Perth in a 38-degree scorcher at Perth Oval. Um, And we had some good, uh, strong goal kickers. We had Michael Roach kicking nine against New South Wales from Richmond. Ross Brewer from Collingwood kicking seven against Essendon. And Tony Morwood from South Melbourne, seven against West Adelaide. Uh, And we had quite a few thrashings going on. Unfamiliar territory. Well, more so than previous years. We had Hawthorne absolutely dismantling East Freo by 105. And uh, Claremont doing the same thing to East Perth by 102. And then a couple of other sort of 90 and 80 point wins there. So a good series. Lots of games of football. I'm sure that was extremely boring to anyone listening to that. But Yes. (laughs) but yeah, um, shout out to David Eastman of Hardball Gets who researched and wrote yes, all that as well. Yes, and does all of all of this 
And that that's that finishes off the first half of our nineteen eighty episode. It does. It does. Um, as we said, we're in the eighties. It's an exciting time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, always good. Um, to catch up and talk about these things. Yes. I love it. So ne- next week we'll find out more about what happened at Carlton. Yes. Looking forward to that. And again, guys, uh, we say it a bit, but especially now we're getting more into familiar territory. If you've got anecdotes, if you were at some of these interesting games, if you remember things from happening, please let us know. We'd love to hear some Absolutely. stories and, and be able to add a little bit of spice to a to the way we do things. So please let us know. We love people and, getting in contact with us. And if we mispronounce some names. Always, always let us know. And please, uh, you know, get it around if, you, if you're enjoying listening. If, you know, it's, we're good company in the car on a long drive occasionally. Uh, tell friends and, you know, give us a rating if you, if you enjoy it. Or even if you don't, let us yeah. know. <laughs> and uh, until the second half of 1980, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.